the music you know what that means we're back something like that and we still kicked we still kicked cameron out say that three times fast we kicked cameron out there you go that is a tongue twister there you go but lou is here i am so indeed and we're here this week to tell you that the world is not your friend amazing now why on earth would we tell you that well you're gonna have to wait until we get to the end for it to make sense (laughs) that's children (laughs) what we call a tease and I'm no good at them, but, you know, I play one on TV or something, so. <laughs> we, we've lost Lou. We've lost Lou already. It's going to be one of those days. Shall we dive right in? We're going to try to make some sense of these things, because the reason we say the world is not your friend is because, well, duh, one, the world is not your friend, and two, not only are they not your friends, they are actively your enemy. So let's get ourselves a biblical foundation, and then let's make sense of what we see in the world based on that foundation. Good plan? Good plan. Good plan. Love it. Philippians chapter 3. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, you may be asking yourself, Christian, what things is Paul talking about, pray tell? And luckily for you, your Bible has an answer. It's in not, We started in verse 7, so let's go back to verse 2. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Although, I myself, Paul is talking here, remember, might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor, of the church as to righteousness which is in the law found blameless blameless i say blasphemy right (laughs) something makes noise we'll be all right so those are the things that were gain those things i have counted as loss for the sake of christ now why christian are they lost well go back in this letter to earlier in philippians 1 To me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In other words, if they take your life, what have you lost? You've gained. You've gained, because I now have eternity. To be absent of the body is to be present present with with the the Lord. Lord. Now, why is that the case? We'll go back to what he told the Galatian church. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in Mm. me. And the life which I now live, I li- I'm sorry, I skipped a line. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, here's the fun part. Where did Paul get such an odd concept? That your life is not yours, but it belongs to another. That your life is not about you, but it is about the work of Christ. I wonder where that idea comes from. Would you like it? This is when you yell the Sunday school answer at your phone. 
I was going to say radio, but nobody uses a radio anymore. You listen to this on your phone. I mean, let's just be honest. What's the Sunday school answer, children? When you don't know what else to say, just say Jesus. Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer. Luke 18. Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Time out real quick, because automatically the crowd listening would have known who's the hero of the story. (laughs) Yeah, the Pharisee is automatically the hero of the story, and the tax collector is automatically the villain. That's how this is supposed to work. They were really looked down upon, the tax collectors. Oh, yeah, they They were were considered corrupt. For multiple reasons. They were corrupt. They were cooperating with the Romans, both politically and in some instances religiously. So, yeah, they they, they they were a raw deal here. So, one's a Pharisee, one's a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and was praying this to himself. I always love that part. (laughs) (laughs) He's praying to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. There's nothing inherently wrong with those things. Can you imagine, like, the closest thing we could get to is a parallel here. Just imagine, like, sitting in church on a Sunday. And they pass the communion plate. And you take your little wafer out, and you sit down, and then you look at the person next to you and be like, Lord, thank you for this communion wafer, and thank you for not making me as evil as that person. <laughs> but everybody's more evil than you, right? I mean, I mean, when we look at other people. Oh, I know, but just, but just imagine saying that in yeah, church and being like, sure. Lord, thank you that I'm not like the people that sit on the other side of the aisle for me because, oh my goodness, they can't get anything right. But I, on the other hand, am sitting here holding this marvelous wafer and I have, you know, put my tithe in the offering already and I, I showed up to Sunday school early and I asked a question. And <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Could you, can you process that person? That's hard. Be like, wow, wow. dude, yeah. I have so many questions. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, was beating his own breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. There, therein lies the problem with what the Pharisee was doing. Because there's nothing wrong with fasting and praying and no. tithing, but exalting but yourself is a no-no. Doing it as a demonstration of your own personal righteousness. That's a slight problem right. here. Right. A slight problem that I'm not sure we're going to overcome, you know, in, in five minutes. Now... We tell you that story because this is what Paul is basing this on. Paul's not coming up with new information here. Paul is building upon the teachings of Jesus laid down in the Gospels, the ministry of Christ in his his, his uh, in earthly incarnation there. So Paul is taking that idea and is it is expounding upon it in his own life. So I was all of these things. If anybody could boast, it's me. But you know what? Those things don't save. So they are loss for the sake of Christ. And more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, why are now not just those things, but why are all things lost? Because, Christian, what are you to love? Christ. Go back to you. You have to love him more than you love your own life. You have to lay your life down. You have to love him more than father and mother. What's your Old Testament summary of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your... Heart, Heart, soul, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So as John expounds on that, he tells you what? Don't love the world or the things of the world because the world is 
passing away, and so are its lusts. That's 1 John 2. James reminds you of the same thing. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity, enmity. towards God? You're an enemy of God if you love the world. In other words, in the end, where did they get such a radical idea? Again, this is the work of Christ. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. Don't exalt yourself. Humble yourself. Let God exalt you at the proper time. And enmity in the Greek means an extreme hatred. So it's not... Yeah, you're an enemy. Yeah, extreme enemy. You're not just... Yeah, once uh, again, we don't have little oopsies and boo-boos. We have fist-shaking, yeah. barbaric enemy of God going on here. That's the standard that we're, that we're working from here. For sure. Now... <clears throat> Let me click on my verse real quick because I gotta gotta grab a verse while I while I read the next thing. So, so these are lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Now, this flies in the face of your good old prosperity gospel. Why is loss okay? Because God is your portion. God is what you're trying to gain. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. That's what Jesus was telling them in Matthew chapter 10. That's the standard that, again, Christ is laying down. What you have here with the apostles is they are following it, building upon it, saying, hey, this isn't just for the, the uber-Christian, you know, the super-duper holy elite. This is for you, me, and the guy in the pew. <clears throat> Jesus, in response to question, Peter asked him, he said, behold, we've left everything and followed you. What will there be for us? Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, that you, have, you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit in his glorious throne, you shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first. In other words, if you want to get there, you got to stop living for here right seeking first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and his righteousness and all things shall be added unto you that's the goal that's the standard so that's why paul doesn't have to worry here i've lost everything in this world but i've gained christ what a perspective I yeah mean, that's we, a win if we had that perspective today if more of us christians believed that and really lived our lives like paul like christ this world would be a different world it would be, but that therein lies the problem. Yeah. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So once again, where are we found? Living for what? The world? Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. Found living for and in him. So what Jesus tells the apostles in the upper room. He poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. It's one of my favorite stories. But Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Peter's like, well, wait a minute. If I'm in, then, I'll, then I want to be in. 
Yeah. So Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew that the one betraying him, for this reason he said, not all of you are clean. But what's the point here? <clears throat> you want to have a portion with Christ. What must you be? Washed by him. And after you are washed, you then spend your life doing what? Renewing. Right. Like nobody takes a shower one day when they're nine and goes, all right, I'm clean. My grandkids would say they, they would try it. Yeah, they would try that. Yeah. Yeah. But you look at them and go, yeah, that was yesterday. <laughs> Zero mask in yeah. that shower. Go get back in the shower. You don't, believe, you don't go to work on Wednesday and be like, well, hey, guys, I showered on Monday. I don't know what the problem is. I was clean. <laughs> like, sit over there. Yeah, you know, be, I, I'm clean. I'm clean. No. Yeah. Likewise, you don't shower first thing in the morning and then go the rest of your day and be like, oh, you know, I'm good. I showered this morning. I'm clean. I showered this morning. No, you spilled barbecue sauce all over your face. Go wash yourself. <laughs> yeah. He was getting into that barbecue. <clears throat> that burger was something. You enjoyed it. We all can tell. Here's a wipe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you periodically cleanse because you're, don't, you don't stay clean. Conversely, Christian, this is what sanctification is supposed to be about. This is how you walk in Christ's likeness. You have been washed. You have been justified. You have been regenerated, born again. Now you do what? Now you endeavor to clean the spots, to work out the muck and mire, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to continue in his word, to continue, excuse me, in his way so that you are presented spotless, blameless, because you, again, love the Savior and the work that he has done. Therefore, you seek to honor it by walking in it. And again, notice what is the power for that? Your works are not what cleanse you. Christ cleanses you. Your works are a demonstration of that cleansing. It's an alien righteousness that That's we're looking exactly at. That's exactly the yeah. point Paul is making in the second yeah. clause. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Once again, not new for what Paul has been telling, not just the Philippians, but any other church that would bother to listen. We know that whatever the law says, <coughs> excuse me, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, the law has accomplished its purpose. It's driven you to Christ. Now, again, you walk honoring that sacrifice because you walk honoring the Savior. But that is not your righteousness. Right. Your righteousness is Christ's and Christ's alone well, given to you. There's a fine line in Paul's writings, you know, we will walk in righteousness, right? And, and studying the Holy Scriptures is righteousness, but it's not the saving grace that that a christian is saved by it's 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 the sanctification that we're walking in and afterwards and it's never the and the in the base of that fruit though is never us right right exactly that's right. the fruit Those are on his the, works that's not the ours the fruit on the tree and the root is christ right. so because that is the root your work so in other words when we talk about perseverance and walking to the end we're not like well you know i got to make sure i get there by doing good works no 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 you've no, missed it that is totally you're wrong. doing good works because you're going to get there do you catch that distinction you're not going to get there because you did works you're doing good works because you're going to get there. It's the Holy Spirit that is spurring you to those good works because you are still connected to the right. root that Salvation is Christ. Salvation comes first. Therefore, you are producing good works because you can't help but produce anything else. So when you are confronted with your sin and your iniquity, 
you root it out and seek to walk in godliness. Not because that action is saving you, but that action is proving that you have been saved. So, let's put it the way Paul puts it in Galatians. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law before them. That's a dig at the Pharisee in our parable earlier. The Pharisee thinks he's justified because he's done these things. I give. I pray. I'm not that guy. I'm in. No one is justified by the law before God. I'm sorry, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, who, who you, he who practices them shall live by them. By the way, Christian, that's good news for you. Mm-hmm. Because when you use that as your standard for sanctification, you're saying that I will be judged by the law. And you will be. And it's Christ's righteous keeping of the law that is your standard. It is your judgment. That doesn't give us a pass, though. No, that. it's not a pass. And I know that's where you're going with this, and I think the, the listeners need to hear that clear. Yeah. You use that as your standard for your good works, not your standard for your salvation. Right. Your salvation is bought and paid for by Christ's obedience to the law. You're then walking in Christ's likeness, walking in the same manner as he walked, is not a salvific work. Right. It is a sanctifying work, demonstrating that the salvific work has already taken place. Because the law was never designed for that type of thing. It was never meant for it salvation. Was, no, the law was never meant for a pagan people. It was always meant for a redeemed people. That's what Israel was supposed to be, was a redeemed people. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the Spirit now empowers your works to bring them into alignment with the standard that is the law, not to save you, but because you have been saved by grace through faith already. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yes. That's the matter. So again, are we encouraging you to walk faithfully? Yes, Why? Because Paul is encouraging you to walk faithfully. He's telling you to forsake the things of the world and to cling to the things of Christ. That's a big, fancy, ethereal way of saying, walk faithfully. Rid yourself of sin, lust of the flesh, desire of the eyes, and all of those things, and instead, live for Christ. So, let's phrase it this way. All right, let's hear it. Could we have given an orthodox prayer from the life of the Pharisee in our, in our parable? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. 
Lord, I thank you for the work that you have done in my life. I thank you for the desires for godly living that you have given me, that you have spurred me to gifts, that you have spurred me to prayer, that you have strengthened my soul by your amazing work because, Lord, I did not deserve this. But, Lord, you have taught me what my giftings are for. You have taught me how to use my mind. You have taught me how to provide for your ministry. And, Lord, for that I am thankful because you have sanctified me and you have cleansed me. And, Lord, I pray that this this tax collector, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to sanctify him the way you are sanctifying me. And, Lord, if I can instruct him, then please use me for that endeavor. And, Lord, if he can instruct me, then please humble me so that I may learn from him. See, Yeah, there it is. Now, now we're having church. (laughs) See, now we're doing something because what's the focus of my prayer? It's the works of God. Yeah, the will of of God. It's the ministry of Christ. I don't look down on him. I go, he's he's got sin. And I know he's got sin because where is he? He's in your house praying to you. He's recognizing he's sin in his sin. So, Lord, yep. if I can help him walk through that, strengthen me for that. And, Lord, if he can help me, right. then strengthen me to be, to be humble enough to walk if that we path. we could only see each other that way. Yes. I mean, it, as pastors and teachers, if we were this, to see somebody walk into the church and, and we can tell by looking at him that he's lived a tough life, and instead of judging him, come alongside of him with a, a spirit-led prayer like you just yeah, like see, you those just are the guys, right Those are the people in church I like the most. Right. I mean, give me somebody who's like, dude, I am busted and broken, but I'm working on it. Yep. Dude, amen, get in line. <laughs> Fill this place with people <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. Give me that guy all day. I used to talk about this when I coached baseball. I would get these baseball players that were just athletically gifted and mm-hmm. just had no work ethic. And then I'd have these kids who were like, you could tell, they're like, it's not there. But they would bust their rear ends. And I'm like, give me a team full of that kid, and I will win some games. Yep. You give me that kid who's just, he's encouraging his teammates, he owns his mistakes, he doesn't make any excuses, and he's trying to get better every single day. Give me a team, give me a starting nine and a bench of that kid, and we're going to do some things. Right, right. I mean, every single time. Attitude is everything, Welcome right? to the church. You give me a bunch of Christians who think that they are the bee's knees and they are the Pharisee in the temple, we're doomed. You give me a bunch of tax collectors, be like, God, I am broken, and I need, literally, one of, we talked about songs last week, mm-hmm. I need thee every hour, oh, I need thee. Mm-hmm. You give me a church full of those people, we're going to get something done, and right. we're going to accomplish great things. Right. And that's what Paul is on about, because that's what the entirety of the New Testament's on that about. so good. You are saved by grace through faith, so that you would walk in the newness of life, to give glory to God in all that you are. Not living for the brokenness of this world, but living for the goodness that comes from him. Hence, Paul finishes, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul was not satisfied with living like Christ alone. He wanted to die like Christ. Mm -hmm. How many Christians can say that? Notice what he's asking for, that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. See, Paul learned his lesson. When is power perfected in the Christian? In suffering. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And what was Paul's response to that? Most gladly, therefore, this is 2 Corinthians 12, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
In other words, when I have denied myself, taken up my cross, Christ is most fully living in me. That is when I am at my best. When I am at the end of the line, mm-hmm. I am the best. When I have been humbled before the throne, <clears throat> all of these things we've been talking about, when I live there, I'm good. Broken and humble yeah. before God. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Look, this is your universal rundown in the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, James 1, Romans 5. That's my, my, my rundown. They all tell you to do what? Rejoice in sufferings. Bear up under trials. And they all have basically the same list. Because what does it do? It strengthens your longing for eternity. And the more that your longing for eternity is strengthened, the more that your faith will show. The more that your faith shows, the more you will persevere. And the more that you persevere, the more that you are, the more you will be glorified in eternity. That's a nutshell of, of, the, of, the, of the chain that they all describe. That you persevere in hope, in faith, being strengthened in your... And then you're revealed. And you have Christ. And there's nothing that we need to fear. Not a thing. Because it doesn't matter what the world tries to take from you. You are solid, grounded, and good. And what's the goal? That I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, by walking this path, what's going to be the end result? Eternity. Eternity. You will persevere. And as Jesus said, Matthew 24, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. Why will he be saved? Because he persevered to the end? No. He persevered to the end because he was saved. saved. Always get that order correct. You miss that order, you're going to have bad things happen to you. You get that order wrong, you start turning into the Pharisee, the temple. You'd be like, well, look at me, God. And be like, look, you want to, oh, should we get him? Should get we get him? Should we do get it. him? Let's do it. Christian, you want to know when you were the Pharisee in the temple? Because I guarantee I can nail you on this one. That time you looked and went, God, why did you do this to me? Why? Because <laughs> you know what you really said? You know what you were really saying right there? I was reading my Bible. I was praying. I was giving and I was volunteering and I was loving my spouse and I was discipling my children. And yet, you did this to me. What you're really saying is, I did everything right. Why didn't I get the good stuff here and now? Because my power is perfected in weakness. And if your feet don't hurt right now, take off those steel toe boots and try again. (laughs) Right. No, right. because we've all been there. We've all had that moment. Even if it's fleeting, you're like, what? Ooh, I was just about to ask that question, wasn't I? Oh, and then you realize just how sinful and evil and wicked you are. And you're like, oh, my bad, my bad. And then you turn back into the tax collector and we're back on the right track, which is the lesson here. When it becomes about me <clears throat> and what I can get and what the world can give me, I have walked into a place of brokenness that just cannot be comprehended. Because I'm going to walk into a place that doesn't exalt Christ, it exalts me. Right. And that's the exact opposite of living for him. So we have bad things now, very bad things happening. So we're not living, living our best life now? And <laughs> <laughs> One of these days we're going to get that board game and like play it as a church on Sunday for Sunday school. That he actually does have that best life now board game. Yeah, I listened to a radio show years ago that played it live. They used to do like um, political talk radio from like nine to midnight. Okay, and things like nobody's listening. So for the whole third hour of the show, we're gonna get together and play this board game. And they did. They it was bad. Huh? It was bad. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to take an hour of airtime, and I think they were like twenty minutes in. Like this is awful. What is going on here? <laughs> I mean, it's full of heresy and name it, claim it garbage. It's yeah. But one of these days, we're gonna do that for Sunday school. I think just for just for giggles, if I can even find it anymore. <coughs> now, children, you may be asking yourselves, 
why are we doing this today? What is the point of this? Oh, wait, because I don't think Lou has even seen this story yet. Probably not. Probably not. I was looking at it, and I was like, hmm, I wonder which church and state story we're talking about here. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to like this one, because this is one of those, for people paying attention in churches, this is one of those duh stories, but the fact that it's actually been codified somewhere is just hysterical to me. Okay. So first and things first, though, let's run down some doctrinal understandings. So based on what we've just covered, so who runs this place? God. God does. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, is there any competition for that authority? Well— no. Any legitimate competition no. of that authority. Like, this isn't like the Olympics are going on right now. This isn't like the, you know, the Olympic, you know, javelin or high jump where we, there's, some, there's some drama about who, about who might win. God's in charge. There's nobody who's even close to taking that mantle right. away from him. All right. This is called sovereignty. So he rules. Why does that matter? That matters because we've, you, we've used this analogy before. If there's nine feet of snow on the ground— and I grab my snorkel and my bathing suit and my, my flippers and be like, I'm going swimming. Yeah, Lou's shaking his head because that's not going to end well for me. I'm going to get frostbite. You're going to have to cut off portions of me that I'm probably quite attached to because I can't fight against reality. Right. When it's 22 below and there's nine feet of snow, I can't prep for a nice, warm, sunny day at the beach. Right. I have to dress like it's 22 below and there's nine feet of snow. Likewise, when we go to the beach in Miami in July, I don't wear a parka in long johns unless I would enjoy a heat stroke. Because it's going to be 92 and sunny with 9,000% humidity, and I'm going to melt if I put on my long johns and my winter coat. I have to deal in the world the way that it is, not the way that I wish that it would be. Reality, huh? Exactly. Therefore, when it comes to the sovereignty of God— if I fail to recognize that he is ruling on his throne, does that mean he is no longer ruling on his throne? No. No. It just means that I am no longer dealing in reality, and I am substituting the lesser thing, and then I'm confused as to why this doesn't seem to work. What could go wrong? I try to, do, <laughs> I, I, I try to do everything that God has laid out in a way opposite of what he has given me. This is our, our Joel Osteen gag right here. Yeah. We can't live our best life now because when I try to, I have to actually forsake legitimate Christian living. I have to forsake being last. I have to forsake humbling myself. I have to forsake the, the blessings of suffering and the blessings of hardship, and I have to make it about me. I have to surrender sanctification in order to accomplish glory in the here and now. I'm not working in reality, and then I'm going to get to the end and be like, well, why didn't I make it? Because you didn't walk down the narrow road. You can't walk down the wide road and be like, hey, this didn't lead where I wanted it to. Big shock, dude. You got on the wrong highway. Where the, um, the planes, trains, and automobiles joke I always like making, you're going the wrong way. Right. Yeah, same problem every single time. When we go that way, bad things happen. We get a false understanding of God. We get a false understanding of Christ. We get a false understanding of salvation, soteriology. And when we have false understandings of all of those things, we get a false understanding of ecclesiology, sanctification. uh, We get a false anthropology, what the purpose of humanity is and how we relate to one another. Everything goes wonky because the starting point was in something other than God. So everything else is off the rails. We're a terrible train wreck. Now, I tell you that story so that I can read you this story. I don't want to read the headline because the headline gives it away. A peer-reviewed study published this month in the academic journal Sociology of Religion. 
Don't you lie? I mean, how's that for a journal? Like nine people read that. Seven of them are German. All of them are liberals. Okay. Uh, stipulated? All right. Yeah, I mean. I already know where this is going then. So. Oh, no, you don't. Okay. No, you don't. Okay. So a peer-reviewed study published this month in the Academic Journal of Sociology of Religion finds a paradoxical correlation between the growth of Christianity on the one hand and the support given to it by the state on the other. As the study's authors detail, their statistical analysis of a global sample of 166 countries from 2010 to 2020, that's pretty robust, finds that the most important determinant of Christian vitality is the extent to which governments give official support to Christianity through their laws and policies. So based on their information... The number one factor in church growth is how much the government makes Christianity accessible and easy. All right? You ready? Okay. Okay. But they say that the relationship between the two is the opposite of what Christians might expect. As governmental support for Christianity increases, the number of Christians declines significantly. This relationship holds even when accounting for other factors that might be driving Christian growth rates, such as overall demographic trends. <laughs> it turns out that Christianity spreads most successfully in countries with a legal commitment to religious pluralism and countries that actively discriminate against the Christian faith. They provide a list of the nations in which Christianity is spreading at the quickest rate. Ten fastest growing Christian populations. With, if they have no or low support of Christianity, they are in bold. So I will snap for the ones that are in bold. The ones that do not support Christianity. Number one, Tanzania. Two, Malawi. Three, Zambia. Four, Uganda. Five, Rwanda. Six, Madagascar. Seven, Liberia. Eight, Kenya. Nine, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. Ten, Angola. Seven of the ten fastest-growing Christian populations are in countries that have low to no Christian support on a national basis from their government. Yeah, that makes sense. So in other words, the more your government gets in bed with your God, the less appealing your God is. And I can explain to you why. Well, because... God becomes more like the government. Exactly. In which case, I don't need the God aspect of it. I can just cut out the middleman and go straight to my government. What have we said? Sounds like uh, Marxism right there. I mean, that's what they were set out to do, to get rid of God. Well, and what have we said how many times? Every time a government forgets God, the government seeks to become God. Mm -hmm. And I have mentioned this before. I, I think we've mentioned it before here on this podcast. Worst thing that ever happened to Christianity in the early church was Constantine. The legalization and later officialization of Christianity was the absolute worst thing. So Constantine legalizes the church in what, 313? 313, yeah. And it's Theodosius, I believe. Don't quote me on this. I'm not looking at it. It's uh, 385, though. I think it's Theodosius. What council was that? What do you no, think? no, it's not a council, but he, he know, doesn't... But there's, Constantine... In 385, there's a council, I think. That's, um... 
that's in between. Laodicea. They may be. Yeah. But it's, um, so 313, it's legalized, mm-hmm. which means you're not going to die for being a Christian any longer. So you can't get persecuted anymore. But it's 385 where Christianity is officialized. It becomes the official state religion of Rome. Is it any wonder that you start then seeing the giant growth that you see in early church heresies? <clears throat> I mean, early on, they were, they were, there were a lot in the first and second century. I would, I would argue that Constantine was no Christian. Well, I would too, but we're not going to go there right this second. Yeah. But I, and, I, and I would agree with you. But my point is, the early church heresies all had to do with the nature of Christ and things like that. Mm-hmm. When you start expounding upon the church and making it official, we now have issues with— because if you if you if you listen to actual scholars that, that debate this honestly, they'll tell you it's usually around the fourth fifth century that you start seeing papal authority becoming mm-hmm. an issue. Why do you think that is? Legalization. Mm-hmm. You start getting centralization of power. You start seeing the Antiochian churches and the Constantinople churches and the Roman churches trying to exert dominance and influence. Why? Well, because it's official now, and we can start to lord it over. We have a breakdown of the actual function of the church and an increase of the Episcopal function of the church. And I'm using that term technically, not denominationally. So it becomes more about the pomp and the circumstance and what you – what had the old Janet Jackson theology. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> nice. Okay. You like, you like that? Well, we have a Janet, a Janet Jackson poll right here. Now, that's – that is demonstrable in history, but it's also demonstrable in this study. The more your country loves your Christian church, whether you use air quotes for that Christian or not, the less appealing it is because the more it becomes about the state. Yeah. And this, is, this has been true for years. I haven't looked at these studies in a while. Well, that's when you've really, when you've really seen the explosion of the, the early first century church is when you started to see things get locked down and persecutions. And yeah, but it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop It doesn't there stop. Because it scattered them. You know, they, they struck the shepherd, and, and the, the sheep and, scattered. And then the sheep multiplied. Yeah, and then they multiplied, yep. I've used this as an example for years. You can go back. Um, for generations, do you know what one of the top five reasons people have always given for why they joined the military? Yeah, so it, it's usually like love of country, I, 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 I like to serve. Yeah. Like I needed money for college, but then um, the other one is usually typically something like I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself. Yeah, yeah that's common. Christian, what do you think your gospel message is, is? Part of your gospel message is is you're part of a kingdom. You're part of a striving for eternity. One of the other things that's given is, is um, you'll used to see this. You don't see this anymore with as many young men, unfortunately, but they actually wanted to do something difficult. I had a friend of mine who complained about that. He got back from army boot camp. He's like, man, it wasn't hard enough. He's like, it was like summer camp with running and marching in formation. He's like, he, he, was, he was disappointed. Was Be- he in the Air Force? No, he's in the Army. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he was disappointed because he was like, I wanted it to be hard. He's like, I wanted Full Metal Jacket. He's like, I wanted Arlie Ermey yelling at me like they did in Full Metal Jacket, threatening to shoot me. And he's like, I wanted that because I wanted to get through it. I wanted to earn something. I didn't want it to be given to me. He was genuinely upset. Mm, wow. Twisted. <laughs> I don't think he's twisted. I think he's a dude. Oh, well. He was a dude who was younger than my best friend and I, and we used to beat the tar out of him for sport. We toughened him up. He's like, he understood in life, if I want something, I earn it. 
I don't want it given to me because oh. we didn't give him anything. I wonder where he went for basic. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, George, as far as I know. Oh, Fort Benning. As far as I know, yeah, because... Uh, That's the home of the infantry. Because uh, yeah, he, he was his favorite story. The only story he ever told was... Uh, about his service time was he ended up being part of that surge into Baghdad. Okay. And he's like, it was wild. We were up for like 40 hours straight. We just kept going. Mm. He's like, it was brutal. And he like, that was, that was fun to him. Cause he's like, it was hard and it was worth it. And we did something. Right. Why do you think first Peter one, James one, Romans five are all talking about this? Because you get to the end, you persevere. And then you look back and go, man, Look at what God has brought me through. Mm-hmm. I, I have an accomplishment based on the work of the Holy Spirit. This means something because it accomplished something. This is what our gospel message is supposed to give people. Why do people have this innate desire for these things? I want to be a part of something. I want to earn something. I want to persevere. Because that's part of when we say you are made to worship. This is what we mean. You were made to have the desire to earn something. Like... <clears throat> What kid, because I grew up in a baseball generation, like what kid sits at home and be like, I imagine myself, it's game seven of the World Series, it's the bottom of the ninth, and we're down, and the bases are loaded, and it's a 3-2 count. Does that story ever end with the pitcher throwing a ball in the dirt and the kid walking to get the game-winning run? No. No, because he didn't earn that. That's, that story ends with what? He hits this massive home run, and everybody cheers. Like, just like the kid... Like, nobody ever imagines themselves in the Super Bowl. And I'm going to th- – do they imagine themselves, like, falling down and fumbling, and then the, the offensive lineman picks up the ball and runs it into the end zone? No, he imagines mm. himself throwing a touchdown pass, something that I right. did. It's right. innate to humanity because God put it there because it is innate to humanity to worship and persevere under trial, aided by the Holy Spirit, secured in our salvation so that we can see the accomplishments of God and praise him for it. And when you rob that from the church, you rob the gospel of its accomplishment in their lives, and the people are now believing a false thing. And therefore, if I'm going to keep walking in this false thing, why am I going to keep walking? What am I going to get at the end of this? What have I done? Yeah. There's no there there. It serves me. It serves the government. It serves this world. It doesn't serve God. Therefore, it serves eh. I don't know how they could see our government as pro-Christian. <clears throat> well, they may, but we have a lot of toleration. We have tax exemptions. That's, that's a benefit that a lot of nations don't have. While our government may not be pro-Christian, it is not actively anti-Christian as it is in a lot of other places. Well, I as, argue the opposite on, today. Put yeah. the parentheses, as it is in other places. Believe me, the Chinese church is looking at us going, you're complaining about tax-exempt statuses and all these things that you have? I mean... Let me know when somebody like tries to chop your head off. <laughs> you know, laughs in Pakistani Christian. <laughs> yeah, totally. When you put I, it I'm in t- a perspective. I'm, yeah, I'm talking about degrees. Yeah. By comparison, we have a pretty good deal. I'm not saying right we now. have a great deal. Oh, yeah, for now. Yeah. I'm not saying we have a great deal, but by comparison, we have a pretty good deal. I mean, we're losing those freedoms. Agreed. Right now. But we haven't lost them yet. So, no. And that's why, look, I've, I've openly said, you know, the government and society hating the church is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to the church. That's, that's I, I would totally and agree. And this with that. backs that up because yes. what is it? Because you know what that's going to do? It's going to get rid of the goats, which my entire ministry life has been about trying to prune goats out. Like get get goats away from me. I don't care because all goats do is make everything harder because you can't feed the sheep properly because they're arguing about carpet and 
colors of the curtains and and the paint and the backdrop. And I don't care. I don't care. Me, but yeah, I, we, I can see that happening. We got things to do here. We got disciples to build. We have kingdoms to furnish. We have sanctifications to accomplish. I, I we got no time for this garbage. So persecution and and animosity from the world is a blessing because it prunes that faster. Yeah. And then you get down to a core group, and it's like, okay, now you know the people in the room, they're in. And we're in this for the long haul, so let's go to work. I ain't got to look around for Judases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't have a bunch of Judases. I may have a couple Peters running around, but you know what? Peter means well, and I can work with that. <laughs> and we can get stuff done. That's, that's the kid who's got no athletic gifts, but is going to work his tail off at every practice. There you go. I can, I can get something done with that kid. For sure. And that's what, this, that's what this study is pointing to. Again, Christian, what was Paul's standard? Dude, get rid of the world. Give me Christ. Give me Christ. Let me get rid of the trappings and let me yearn and strive in the things that he has provided. Yeah. And I got something. Yeah, Paul had quite a pedigree. And he was taught by one of the, the greatest, you know, Torah teachers around at yeah. the time. And his answer was, be gone. None of that meant anything. Because I need Christ and him crucified so that I can rest in his power, walk in his spirit, so that I can accomplish the things that he has set me out to accomplish for his kingdom so that God be glorified and his kingdom built. And that's supposed to be the goal. And any time our eyes move off that prize, we have settled for the lesser thing. We have the wrong Jesus. We have the wrong story. And we got to get back on track. The blessing is, though, that for that too, Christ died. We return, we put that sin to death, and we continue on by his power. And that's a sign. Mm. See, overcoming your sin in that manner and fighting your sin is a sign of salvation. Because what you just said is, I'm persevering. Again, I'm not persevering to be saved. I'm persevering because I'm saved. I've just been given an assurance because the Spirit has given me perseverance, and I can rejoice. So, what have we learned today, children? Our lives should be lived for God. We cannot serve God and the world, and Christianity only makes sense when it serves Christ. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. What are the odds, huh? Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. If you see something that sounds doctrinal that you want us to look at, send it to us. We will look at it because that is the stuff that we do. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.